Today's video was recorded on March 1st, 2022, and this is the eighth in our series through the book of Exodus. So we're in the midst of exploring uh, how God's glory is being revealed in the Exodus from Egypt, and then the interaction that takes place between God and Pharaoh. So in today's lesson, we're going to explore the question of whether or not God hardened Pharaoh's heart and therefore took away his free will. So this seems to be the common interpretation of this narrative. But uh, in today's video, you'll see that not all scholars agree with this conclusion. And we're going to look and see that the justification for this disagreement comes directly from the Hebrew text itself. Now, to do this, we have to follow along with the plague narrative and then look at the Hebrew words that are ultimately translated uh, into English as hard or harden. And then we're going to ask some questions about the original meaning of those Hebrew words to see if something else might be going on here. Now, it'll be helpful for you, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening to the podcast version, to download the class notes for today's lesson. So we post these class notes on our website, BigTreeTeaching.com, and these notes will help guide you through the lesson. They provide references and will also provide a place for you to take your own notes. So if you look in the description section of both the video and the podcast version, you'll find a link that'll take you directly to the PDF of the class notes. Because most of us are reading our Bible in English or another language besides the original Hebrew, it's going to be beneficial to be able to isolate as best we can the variables surrounding the narrative of Pharaoh's heart and the ten plagues. Now, we've done that for you on the class handout. So this will save you some time and will definitely make it easier for you to follow along the lesson. So enjoy today's lesson on Pharaoh's heart. We started last week, well, I'll do a quick review, but we started last week with the idea of why 10 plagues. God is up to something. He needs to show the world that uh, he is Lord and God. And by doing what he does is he has a series of uh, plagues and he needs more than one. Let's put it that way. At the same time, we have this narrative going on about Pharaoh's heart. And so what we're going to spend this week and next, basically uh, next week, I'm going to rehash everything we did this week. And I'm just going to show you a few more items that I couldn't get to this week. But we're going to talk Pharaoh's heart. And as I just mentioned, you know, I recognize that for many, this as what I'm going to show probably different from what they've ever heard about Pharaoh's heart. Because there's a gap between what scholars recognize and then what we have in the church. And that makes sense because teaching a complex subject like this, you can never do it on a Sunday in a, from a pulpit. It's just not meant for that. And so you have to come to a class environment where, where you have some time to kind of wrestle with the material. Um, and that's what, that's what I'm, my goal of this ministry is to allow people to take these ideas and wrestle with them and look deeper into the text that's not in a just weekend service. So over the centuries, 
not everybody has agreed that God has uh, hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so I'll show you why, because it's in the text. And um, there's justification for it. So that's what we're going to do today and next week, because we'll rehash it, um, is what's going on with Pharaoh's heart. And how can we understand the text of Pharaoh's heart in light of the idea of God needing 10 plagues to reveal his glory to the world? So, the background picture that you have is a scene found in the tombs in Egypt. And what it's telling is the story of judgment in the afterlife. And next week, I'll go more into this picture. I'll actually show you an even expanded image of it, because there's more going on. Um, but we'll, we'll look at all the little figures in the picture and why this is so important to the story of Pharaoh's heart. But this is a, a, the idea of judgment in the afterlife. They find it in the, what's called the Egyptian Book of the Dead. So it's the book of what happens to the dead in the afterlife. And what I want you to notice, because this is one of the main pieces, is right here in the middle is a set of scales. And I'll bring it closer in a minute. But this is how you judge in the afterlife, or, or the process of being judged in the afterlife has to do with your heart. And the scales weigh your heart. So let me show you a little bit closer view of this. So, again, I'll go over it all next week. But on one side of the scales right here is the heart. That's the deceased person. Their heart goes on that side of the scale. Then on this side of the scale is the feather of truth. And your heart is weighed against the feather of truth. And you want your heart to be lighter than the feather, which would be a way of saying you had a sinless life. If your heart is heavier than the feather, it descends down into the to judgment. And it's actually, I'll show you, there's a little, there's a little monster, um, crocodile, lion, hippopotamus-like creature that eats your heart. That's what happened. But anyways, the point is, so do you want a heavy heart? Well, no, because heavy heart means judgment. And so as we go into this idea of Pharaoh's heart tonight, and we look at the language that the Bible uses to talk about Pharaoh's heart, keep in mind that little picture. And we'll, get, we'll talk about it again at the end. And, we'll, and I, like I said, we'll talk about it next week. Um, but that's one example from Egypt of the context of Pharaoh's heart, at least the way the, narr the narrative is. So one of my main uh, purposes of putting this video together, this class and the video, is really to introduce this topic, to at least let people know that it's there, and then provide them some avenues of study if they wanted to study. And for me, it was somewhere around 2010, so 12 years ago. So please realize, if you're hearing this for the very first time tonight, it can be complex, and I just want you to know I've got 12 years on you of, uh, this to of knowing about this topic, plus I did one of my research projects in seminary on this topic because I was given the leeway to choose, so I chose Pharaoh's heart because I really wanted to dig in and focus as much as I could on all the details, and it really will blow your mind. 
And so one of my goals really is to introduce the nuances of the story so that when people read the story, they see more of these little bit, uh, little important bits that are going on that really bring the story to life, so to speak. And, you know, we often reduce this narrative to be something about free will, but really it's about the revealing of God's glory and what he's doing with Pharaoh along the way. So, okay. Uh, you'll see by the end, and then you'll have a whole week to ponder it, and then next week we'll do it again, and you'll see even more, because that's just how the Bible works. So this is uh, week eight. There we go, week eight. And the question is, uh, this is review, quick review from last week. Why 10 plagues? That was our question. Why couldn't God have done it in just one? Why did God need 10? Clearly, he even says, hey, I could have wiped you off the face of the earth with one plague, but I didn't. Why? Because my goal is to show Egypt, and therefore Egypt as a proxy, the whole world, that I am Lord. And to do that, he has to do it in multiple ways, so you can't discount the plagues. And so this is what we asked last week, and we would say, why the ten plagues? And this is really the main theme of the Pharaoh narrative. If we reduce it simply to the theological idea of whether God takes away people's free will, we've kind of missed this point. The, the, the ten plagues is really about God's glory being revealed. How many times, uh, if you re we did it last week, and then if you go back and read it, you'll see the phrase, so that you will know. I'm doing this so that you will know. And that's the revealing of God's glorious power, uh, shining power, uh, his glory uh, to the world. The word, this will be important, the word for glory, the root of Hebrew, KVD, Kaved, or Kavod would be another variation of it. That means heavy. It also means glory. So there's a weightiness to God. So God's glory is revealed, and then it's also telling us, hey, <laughs> this God's authority extends to all nations. So you think, Pharaoh, you're in charge, but you're not. So this is the main theme. Now, how, does the, how do the ten plagues do this? Well, this is a little bit of what we did last week. So the ten plagues have an increasing trajectory as each one of them goes by. So for instance, uh, if you read the first two, well, it's the first sign and then the first two plagues, Pharaoh's magicians are able to duplicate that. So his magicians uh, turn a staff into a snake. His magicians turn the Nile into blood and bring the frogs out. But then it ends. And as you keep going, three, four, five, suddenly you see elements of time, that this God is outside of time, transcends time. Then you see elements of geography, that God's transcending geography, or that he can even discriminate within geography. And this starts to blow Pharaoh's mind, because none of his gods can do that. So he's showing you that God is transcends the cosmos rather than inside the cosmos. So what, what you notice is 
as those increase, and this next week we'll look at Pharaoh's responses, and as the plagues increase with sophistication, he gets more and more. He's even almost repenting at one point. So we'll do that next week. But that's the whole idea, that it's, it's gonna, there's an increasing nature to the plagues. Okay, let me, let's look at one example. I want you to turn to uh, Exodus 9, and we'll just read a couple verses 4 to 7. So Exodus 9, 4 to 7, is, it's the plague of the livestock. But what I want you to notice are all the little details inside of this plague that indicate time, geography, and God's ability to discriminate. And then when we get to the end, we're going to look at how Pharaoh responds, because it's telling. So Exodus 9, 4 to 7. So right off the bat in verse 4, the text says, But the Lord will make a distinction, right? So the Lord, this is a God who can distinguish between what? The livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that no animals belonging to the Israelites will die. Now that's a, that's a tall order. You're giving Pharaoh the warning. You're telling him what's going to happen. So it's a God who can discriminate. Okay, next verse. The Lord set a time. So now we've got timing in it. He's not just going to do it randomly. Tomorrow, the Lord will do this in the land. All right, so now we've got a time set. That's going to be something that specifies it. Next verse, uh, verse 6. And the, and the next day, the Lord did it. And the livestock of the Egyptians died but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Now, you might think Pharaoh just had all of his livestock wiped out. So maybe he'd be interested in what the damages are, right? Send out his people to find out how many of our animals were killed, because this is going to be a big deal in Egypt. But that's not what the text says he's worried about. So look at the next verse, verse 7. The first thing he wants to do is he wants to know, did the Israelites' animals die? Pharaoh investigated and found that not one of the animals of the Israelites had died. That's what he wants to know, because he wants to know right off the bat, was that God able to do that or not? And it turns out he was. So, next uh, sentence, very imp- or the last part of that verse. Yet his heart was, and I don't know what your Bible says, the NIV says um, unyielding. Some Bibles say, but his heart was hard. But the word there, and I put it in the more literal sense, yet Pharaoh's heart, or yet his heart was heavy. Now, why did I choose heavy? Because the word, the Hebrew word that's used there is KVD the same word used for God's glory, kavod. Ah, his heart was heavy, and he would not let the people go. Now, what happens to a heavy heart in Egypt and the afterlife? Ah, maybe there's something about the, the Hebrew word choice when it comes to Pharaoh's heart. So, okay, just hang with me for a minute, because we'll get there in a minute. The whole point in showing you that Exodus 9 is notice, well, he doesn't talk about the magicians, but 
Notice there's a time element, there's a geography element, there's a discrimination element. And so you can see that as these plagues increase, Pharaoh suddenly begins to waver. And that's really the main point. Okay. So let's, uh, let's see. Okay, two main questions. Two main questions we'll be asking tonight. The first one, did God harden? Now, that's, there's actually a whole bunch of questions, but let's, did God harden Pharaoh's heart? And when we think of the word harden, we tend to think, did God take away his free will? Did he cause Pharaoh to resist God in a way that caused Pharaoh to lose uh, control of his free will? That's the main, these are the main two questions. And that's really kind of what everybody wants to know. Did that actually happen or not? Uh, and that's going to take us having to look at the original Hebrew to kind of decipher this. So here's what I'd like to do is when we look at Pharaoh's heart, the very first thing we're going to do, and this is number two on your sheet, is we're going to look at who acts, who acts on Pharaoh's heart. Because the question is, is it only God? When someone says to you, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, then you have to say, well, who else did? Because we're going to see that it's not only God acting upon Pharaoh's heart. And the text is very specific when someone else is doing the action. You're able to see that in the Hebrew. So who, who does the acting on Pharaoh's heart? Second, uh, and is it only God? Second, what are the Hebrew words that get translated in our English as either hard or harden? And if you notice there, it's Hebrew words, plural, because there's more than one. There's going to be three Hebrew words, all distinct, that get translated into one English word. Now you have to start doing some, why, did they, why are they choosing to do that? And then ultimately that leads us to this idea about Pharaoh's free will. So who acts on, on Pharaoh's heart? What are the words that are translated? And then what does that mean about Pharaoh's free will? Okay, so here's, this is kind of the main graph I have on your, on page one. This is number three on the handout, but it's the, it's that big chart at the bottom. There's really, well, for us in the West, we're so systematic. We have to kind of break this down uh, into little charts to be able to analyze the text. To, uh, to try to do it just by reading it gets a little bit overwhelming. So I, I like to put together charts. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the 10 plagues, and then we're going to ask those questions. Who's acting on Pharaoh's heart, and what Hebrew word is being used underlying that? And this will all be on the, your handout, but I'll put some of it up here on the screen. Um, okay. So, starting at the top of your chart there, we notice that when this whole thing kicks off with Pharaoh, uh, Moses, and Aaron, it starts off with the sign of the, the staff and the snake. So, uh, they take the staff, they throw it on the ground, it turns into a snake, they pick it up, and then eventually uh, the Aaron's snake eats the, uh, the Egyptian snake, but then the text says, and this, it's very ambiguous in the Hebrew, uh, it says something to the effect of, Pharaoh's heart was hard. Now, I know the NIV translates it, 
Pharaoh hardened his heart. That's, but it's not what it says. Pharaoh's heart was hard. It's more of a statement about the heart. So if you notice, who's acting on, on, who's the acting agent on the heart? Well, it's either the heart itself as a description, Pharaoh acting on his heart, or God. But this gets kind of confusing because it just says his heart was hard. Okay? So it doesn't really mean that anybody's specifically acting. Uh, next plague. So number one plague is the blood. What do we find again? We find the same type of statement. There's the blood. The magicians repeat it. The statement says, Pharaoh's heart was hard. Okay? Then you get to the frogs. And we talked about this last week. The frogs, the magicians are able to repeat the frogs. Then Pharaoh says, pray to, your, pray to the Lord that I'll take the frogs away. Moses says, okay, what time do you want that to happen? Uh, how about tomorrow morning? Okay, it'll be done tomorrow morning. And once the frogs are gone, it now says that Pharaoh acted on his heart, but it says Pharaoh kaved, heavied his heart. And notice these two words, kaved, K-V-D, is different than hazak. And we'll talk about the differences. Hazak means to make strong. Pharaoh's heart was strong. Then the frogs happen, and it says, Pharaoh heavied his heart. And you say, okay, what's the difference? Well, this is what we're going to try to, this is what we're going to pull out of the text. So that's the first time that Pharaoh actually acts directly on his heart. Um, okay, next one, lice. The lice, the magicians can't replicate. And then the text says, it's ambiguous. Pharaoh's heart was strong, is what I would say, but Pharaoh's heart was, heart was hazak. Or your Bible probably says Pharaoh's heart was, was hard. Then you have the flies. Pharaoh again acts on his heart. And this time, when Pharaoh, whenever Pharaoh acts on his heart, it's using the word kvd, kavod, or heavy, or weighty. But that's always when Pharaoh... And then number five, you have the livestock, and again, you get an ambiguous, but this time, kaved, the, the, the heaviness, his heart was heavy. So you can see, now, first of all, just the price of admission tonight, right? Just notice, where's God in the first five plagues? Has he done anything to Pharaoh's heart? Zero. So if you notice, the first five plagues is all either Pharaoh or just a description of his heart. And it's only later that God starts picking up the, and starts entering and acting upon Pharaoh's heart. So uh, that's why when I was saying, if someone says God hardened Pharaoh's heart, you'd have to say, well, but so did, so did Pharaoh. Pharaoh's already involved in this before God even is, okay? So that's one thing to mention. Second, that there's two different words going on. And I'll, we'll clarify that in a minute. Okay, now let's go on to the last part of the plagues. Number six is boils. The boils, you read that in the text, Pharaoh's magicians can't stand in front of Moses now that they've, the boils are out. They're, they're running away. And this is the point where God finally steps in. So number six, boils, God steps in. 
but he steps in with a hazak, which means he strengthens Pharaoh's heart. Or at least that's what hazak means. Okay, then let's keep going. Uh, the, the hail, the hail is really bad for Pharaoh, and it says Pharaoh kavod. He hardened or heavied his heart, I should say. KVD. Then the last three, locusts, number eight, God comes back in and he strengthens Pharaoh's heart. Darkness, God steps in, he strengthens Pharaoh's heart. And the firstborn, God steps in and strengthens Pharaoh's heart. And I say strengthen because this is how other scholars read the text. Because the word there, hazak, means to make strong, to encourage, to strengthen your heart. God needs ten plagues. Pharaoh, if you give up on me, I can't, go th- I can't go through with my plan. So I strengthen your heart. So Pharaoh has the courage to see through this whole thing. And then finally, uh, you get the pursuit. This is when uh, you've had the Passover. Uh, start in chapter 14. Now Pharaoh gets his army to start pursuing the Israelites. And what it says is that God hazaked, made strong the hearts of the Egyptians to go after uh, the Israelites. Okay, now that's all 10 plagues, but just notice on that little chart, at first, right, it's just statements about Pharaoh's heart, that Pharaoh's heart was strong. Pharaoh, whenever he acts on his own heart, it's the idea of a heaviness, a weightiness to the heart. So he's sinning in a way. And then when God steps in, it's only at the end. And we have to really pay attention to these. Uh, now, I know you can't do it in English. So I know this is an act of frustration because your English Bible doesn't give you any clues to this. But the, the words KVD and then Hazak, distinct words. Ah. Uh, if the author's switching words, then we've got to go look for why is that author switching words. Okay, now let's talk about these words. What do those words mean? If you flip over your handout to the back. So the first thing, and this is uh, usually a surprise to people, is that in English, the word hard or hardened shows up anywhere from 17 to 19 times, depending on your, the Bible version. Like the NIV says unyielding, uh, where other versions will say hardened or was hard. You basically have one English word that shows up 17 to 19 times. But underlying that, in Hebrew, three different words, all distinct, all with their own meaning. There's, and we'll go over them in a second, so I'm just going to put them up here. There's kasha, there's hazak, be strong. God says to, to uh, Joshua, be strong and courageous, hazak. And that's in Israel, their special forces, hazak, hazak, which means be strong, be strong. Because that's what you need if you're living in Israel and you're, the enemies around you want to attack you all the time and you're in their special forces, then you need to be strong. Um, so, Kasha, Hazak, and then the last one, Kaved, or Kavod, and that's uh, to heavy. So, 
Uh, let's now go a little bit further and talk about these words. So the first one, kasha. This kasha is the closest Hebrew word to how we interpret the meaning of to harden. It means, so kasha occurs one time in this narrative. It's at the very beginning. And it means, and I put these all on your, uh, uh, your handout under number five, the root meaning means to make hard, uh, to be difficult, stubborn. When the Bible talks about the Israelites being stiff-necked, that's kasha. So when we think about Pharaoh, we tend to think of him as being rigid, unbending, stiff-necked, unwavering. That's kasha, but it's only used one time. Um, for an example, and you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but you can. Um, I put on your sheet Psalm 95.8, because this actually uses the word kasha in the correct context. So if you want to turn to Psalm 95.8. I know often it seems like I'm just throwing Hebrew words at you, or, you know, I give you this big chart with a whole bunch of data in it. If you get anything out of tonight, just get the gist of what's happening with the different words. You can always go back and reflect on it a little bit and then read the text. Um, I don't mean to overwhelm you with, with data, but I also need to put it in the video because I need to show people where to go look. Um, if they're going to go try to study it, if they're going to go study it themselves, they need to know where to go. They need to know where to look and that this is, uh, exists out there. Okay, so Psalm 95, verse 8. Uh, I'll start with the last part of verse 7. Today, if only you would hear his voice, that's the end of 7. Then verse 8 starts, Do not harden, kasha, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at, Manah, at Massah in the wilderness. So. To harden your heart, kasha, in Hebrew, shows up here, and it's in the exact context of the wanderings of, uh, in the wilderness, when they weren't listening to God. They became stiff-necked, right? That's the complaint that uh, Stephen and Paul have towards their Jewish brothers. Uh, verse 9, where your ancestors tested me, they, tr they tried me, though they had seen what I did. Okay. So that's, that's one Hebrew word, kasha. Next, and this is the one that's used the most, hazak. And that word hazak is used 12 times, and that word means strong, to strengthen, to make strong, to encourage. And it does not in any way denote emotional insensitivity. So, uh, when it says Pharaoh's heart was strong, in Egyptian uh, context, that's good. You're, stand, you're the Pharaoh. You're the leader of the world. Stand strong in front of this contender, this God that's going to contend. Pharaoh, when his magicians can, uh, can also do the, the, the staff and the snake or the, the blood, his heart is strong. He's courageous. But then he gets, starts to realize who God is, and he begins to waver, right? Okay, so that's hazak, to be strong. And then the final one is the KVD, 
and that's six times, and that means to make, it means heavy or to make heavy. It's the word that's used for God's glory. So there's a word play going on, right? Uh, God's glory, KVD, comes at the expense of Pharaoh's heart, KVD. His heart becomes heavier, God's glory increases. So, uh, and one thing to, to note, and I'll, next week I'll provide a sheet for you that's a little bit more explicit, but we'll go over this again. When Pharaoh talks about cavoting his heart, heavying his heart, it's always in the context of Pharaoh's sinning. In fact, the text says, we'll look at it next week, I have sinned against you and the Lord. Pharaoh admits his sin a couple times, but when it mentions sin, it mentions the heavy heart. Well, why does that make sense in Egypt? How do they judge the heart in the afterlife? On a scale. So you have a connection to that ancient Egypt, Egypt uh, judgment ceremony, and it would be in a way saying, you know who your judge is, Pharaoh? It's God. Don't think you don't have a judge. So, okay, uh, no, to, to beat that one to death, but here's the main one. And one, uh, you know, scholars will say, look, you have a perfectly good Hebrew word, kashah, that means to make stiff, to be stiff-necked, to make, to make it difficult or stubborn. You have a perfectly good Hebrew word. Why do you have to switch and use two other words? And we kind of just gloss over it. And then other scholars say, no, 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 no. If, if, if you have a perfectly good word and you switch words, it means there's a reason. There's an idiomatic reason for it. There's, it means something beyond what we think it means. So here's what I think is happening. Pharaoh, in the beginning, those first uh, five plagues, he's, he's beginning this battle with God, but he's not quite sure who it is yet. And so what we get is this idea that his heart is... Uh, Strong. Hazak. So the, the, the magicians can repeat it. Hazak. We are strong. We're Egypt. I'm courageous. And that's how a strong heart in Egyptian context is courageous. But then Pharaoh starts to see who God is. He's outside of time. He's outside of space. Uh-oh. And Pharaoh begins to sin. And at least we'll, we'll see next week. He admits to Moses, I've sinned. And at that point, the, the word switches. I'm heavying my heart. I'm sinning. I got it. I see that I'm sinning. And why do we know this? Well, because of this right here. This is the, the Egyptian judgment scene. And you would say, here's the heart. And here's the feather of truth. And when that heart is heavy, it means it's going to be descending into the, uh, the abyss the Egyptian abyss. So, as, as Pharaoh begins to sin, he also begins to waver on the plagues. So, what happens next in the last few plagues is God steps in, and the word that's used is hazak. Pharaoh, you can't give up. I'm going to give you the courage to keep, you, you, you know, he's a pharaoh. And these are his slaves. He's, he doesn't want to let them go. Nobody in power wants to let their slave people go. So God gives them the courage to keep his plan going. He still has free will. He's not forcing them to 
to make a decision, but he's giving him the courage to keep the plan going. And after you see Egypt, Egypt destroyed, he even give, gives the Egyptian the cur, Egyptian army the courage to go after the Israelites. And all of that is for his glory. So we'll do this again next week. We'll look at the strong heart, the weighted heart, but it's set in this very particular context. And one of the points of, of going over this tonight really is uh, words, the words matter. That, like I said, the scholars who say, you know, if you have a perfectly good Hebrew word that, that would uh, express the idea of a hardening, why do you switch? And, if you, and when an author switches words, especially a divinely inspired author, it's because there's something there that they're understanding that we're missing. And um, I put this quote uh, about the. If we're going to take the the words of the Bible seriously, then we need to pay attention to the words and not gloss over it. And I put this quote from Mark Twain because this, to me, is it's a great expression that authors don't randomly miss a word, right? So he says, the difference between the right word and the almost right word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. And I love that because you can't just gloss over it and say, well, they all mean the same thing. It's like, uh, probably not. If the author's switching words and has a reason, he has a reason for doing it, then let's go seek out that reason. And then uh, to finish up this week, I, I have a quote. It's on your sheet because it's long and it's easier to read on your sheet than it is on the screen, but I'll put it on the screen. Um, Pierre Gilbert is a uh, professor, Old Testament professor in Canada. And so he has an article, uh, Human Free Will and Divine Determinism. This is Pharaoh, a case study. And so the quote on your sheet, he says, uh, there's no compelling reason to translate hazak, that's to be strong, by the verb to harden. He says, since the usage of this verb in the Exodus narrative is unambiguously set in the context of a military conflict, Pharaoh versus God, he says, it's preferable to retain its usual meaning to make strong, to strengthen, to fortify, to resist. If this translation is correct, it would imply the author does not wish to communicate Pharaoh hardened his heart after each of the first five plagues but that he remained firm in the face of the Yahweh's threats and actions. Pharaoh takes courage. He remains strong in the face of a formidable enemy. There's even a, uh, an, Egypt, an Egyptian writing about a king, and it's, you know, the, whenever they write about their king, they always tell you how glorious their king is. They're perfect. They win all their battles. You know, they vanquish all their enemies. And one of them says, the king had a strong heart, and pursued his enemy. And it was because of that strong heart, meaning he had the courage to stand firm, to go after his enemy. And that's in a, uh, in, again, in, a, in an Egyptian writing. So, okay. Um, so as a way of review, because like I said, I'm throwing a lot at you and, I, and we'll do it again next week. And I'll tr because when we look at it in a little bit different way, and look at some of the text and the way Pharaoh responds, you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, first of all, Pharaoh acts on his own heart. We miss that. We miss that Pharaoh is part of the acting on his heart. 
But when he acts, it's the heaviness, it's the, it's the weightiness that he's acting on. God shows up after the fifth plague. So it's the sixth plague. This is right when Pharaoh is starting to uh, fall apart. His, his, uh, his counselors are saying, knock it off. We're, des- we're destroying Egypt, you know. Stop messing around. The big one, and again, part of my goal is to introduce the idea that there's three distinct Hebrew words that underlie our one English word, hard or harden, and that it's very important when we see those words to put them back into the Egyptian context, just like everything else in the Bible. When we do that, there's things we see that if you didn't know we're there, that start to make sense for why those Egyptian words, or why, sorry, why those Hebrew words are being used. And by the way, I was teaching this class, uh, I don't know, six or seven years ago. And I had a, a gentleman who always sat in the front row and he, he had a Bible software. He was uh, quite scholarly. And the whole time I'm teaching, he's got this look on his face like he just does not believe what I'm talking about. He's not convinced, right? So I see him typing away on his computer. And what he's doing is inside his, uh, his Bible software. And he gets done, and he's just shaking his head. He goes, of all the time, the word hazak means strong. Of all the time it's used in the Bible, it's hundreds, hundreds of times you, you see that word. The only time in English it shows up hard or hardened is in this little narrative. So 12 times in the narrative, our English translates it hardened. Everywhere else in the Bible, strong, encourage, you know, strengthen. So he was like, I can't believe this, that it's only in this one little section that we've decided to translate it hard or hardened. So anyways, even though he was, he was very intent on trying to find the flaw, I don't think he did. So, all right. So next week, we'll do this whole thing again. I'll show you a little bit different perspective. We'll read Pharaoh, how he's reacting along the way, and try to put this back in the context. We'll also talk about this whole picture back here, all these little, uh, the symbolism that's going on. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson, and that it helps you gain a deeper understanding of the biblical text. Fig Tree Ministries is an educational nonprofit, and we're 100% listener-supported. If our lessons have been valuable to you in your study of the Bible, We ask that you support our work with a financial donation. Whether it's a one-time donation or you become a monthly supporter, we appreciate your generous gift. Donations are easy through our website, figtreeteaching.com, and you can become a regular supporter for as little as $5 per month. We've included a link to our donation page in the description section below. Online giving through our donation partner, DonorBox, is easy and secure. By setting up your DonorBox account, you'll be able to easily track your donations when it comes time to doing your taxes. We thank all of our donors for their generous gifts, and as you go into the world, may the words of number six be with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom. Shalom.